and I probably put in about 3x the amount of content in the last six months as I had done in my previous three and a half years of being a CEO. I would challenge you to think bigger, think of content as a competitive advantage. How can it be your advantage? That's Steve Pockross, the CEO at Verblio in Denver, Colorado. I didn't just ask Steve to join me in this episode because he champions one of the best content production companies in the country, or because of his incredible business development skills, or because he can view the world from both the executive leadership and frontline marketers perspective. No, I invited Steve because he's resilient, level-headed, and knows how to lead pivots and turnarounds to change and adapt with the market. He's not only a Blue Matter partner, but he's also a friend. And I think you'll see why he's the perfect guest for today's marketing world. Welcome to the In-House Marketer Podcast, where we believe that marketing is measured by sales and empowering your in-house team is the best way to grow your business. I'm Ryan McInerney, and this show is brought to you by Blue Matter, the in-house marketer's single destination for marketing strategy, community, and execution. With me today is Steve Pockross of Verblio, Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you. Our listeners, they probably don't know much about your background. Would you fill us in just quickly about why you are in the seat you are in now and what called you to it? Sure. So Verblio is a marketplace SaaS company that has 3,000 content creating writers throughout the United States. We write for 70,000 pieces of unique content every year for a thousands of clients and 39 different verticals. And I uh, became deeply attracted to this concept of how do you bring together a marketplace of people, SaaS technology about 15 years ago when I got hooked on my first startup. And that was one of the leading kind of marketplace companies at the time before the word marketplace, ex- well, marketplace existed. We were just weren't applying it in this exact same way. And it was a remote call center. We called it a virtual call center with 20,000 agents called LiveOps that was pretty high flyer grew from about $8 million to $150 million while I was there. Got some of that fun Silicon Valley ride to it. And I became obsessed. So there's a few things that I think are really cool, which is one, if you bring together a large pool of talent that's highly curated and that you can segment them, you can use all sorts of technology and business principles and just management skills to figure out how to get so much more out of that community than you can out of a distinct team. You can use SaaS in order to make it more flexible and scalable. And then with the startup aspect to it, if you just bring the mentality of let's create something that's never been done before, put resources behind it with really brilliant people, it's a pretty fun science experiment that you get to perform on yourself. So I started that about 15 years ago. My job was to create new business models on top of this platform. And I bopped around the startup the startup world, finding passion after passion, as many of us do, until I was lucky enough for the founders of, of, of Verblio to hand me the keys to their company about four years ago. So in a pretty unique way of doing things, the founders who were a journalist and technical co-founder said, you know, we've taken this uh, to uh, pretty, pretty dang far. We need somebody to scale it from here. They're based in Denver, Colorado as well. And I am just deeply fortunate to bring together those two things that I care about the most, which is uh, the future of work and the future of marketing kind of coming together and being local based. Thanks for filling us in on that. That's an awesome uh, storyline. I'm curious, in that process, it sounds like innovation has constantly followed you wherever you've gone. And that innovation is always kind of the closing of the gap, the bridging of the gap between kind of a current state and a future state. 
And there's probably been no time in our recent history. I mean, I went through the 2008 recession and I can't remember things speeding up like this before, nor do I remember as a leader having to go through so much change so fast and go through it in community of other clients and peers. I'd really love for you to shed light on how you as a leader had to adapt and you know, none of us are getting out of this you know, COVID-19 problem and, and process without scars. I'm just curious, what have you had to do as a leader to adapt and, and what were some of the, the hard battles you had to fight? Yeah, I know everyone's got an interesting story. It's been a heck of a year and we've all been through a ton. And it's actually even just hard to remember how what we've done in the last six, seven months. So I think uh, I've, uh, in addition to 2008, I was there for the, uh, the 2000.com crash as well. And so I think the more of these cycles you go through, the more you start to feel like the similarities and the differences. One of the things that I just approach every new cycle with in the same way that I think about strategy in general is to break it down into its pieces, which is like always think of who are your core constituencies. You have your team, you have your clients, you have your writers, and then you have your stakeholder or your investors. So my board in our situation, because we're bootstrapped and don't have investors. I think, you know, when I was going to business school 20 years ago, we everyone started with stakeholders first. And they said that that was the most important constituency. And then I think there was a big move towards clients. It should all be about your client first. I think about it as about my team first. I don't think I serve my stakeholders. I don't think I serve my clients well, unless I'm thinking about my team first. So the first thing that we did is really focus on what is my, what does our team need? And so my goal was to give them as much comfort and optimism in this time as we possibly could. So I think it really, there's a lot of companies that strategy comes from a lot of different places. For me, a lot of other CEOs in the industry and everywhere were thinking about, all right, this is time to lead with financial strategy. Where do I cut? I cut my bottom 10%. I cut salaries. This is my opportunity to really put away cash. I didn't want to do that. And I thought that that would have really been demotivating for our company. We grew 50% last year with no investment. And I wanted to keep that growth mentality. And I think the second that you move into cost-cutting structure, you change the culture and the focus of your company to cutting every potential cost. And I'm not saying this isn't right for, for many companies. It wasn't right for Verbly. So I made a plan for our board. The first thing, which was, I don't want to reduce any headcount. Everyone here is mission critical. There's not like fluff in a bootstrapped company that you can cut. And I don't want to decrease salaries, but this is the time if this doesn't happen within three months that we will have to do so. So I gave us as much leeway as we could. I got that to sign off with our board. And then I was very clear in, in my communication with the team that this is, you know, this is what we did. I want all of you to feel comforted. I want you to feel as safe as possible, but also know that there's an end time for this and it's time for us to rally together. So that was one of the first things I did. I think leading with empathy is something that we're all talking about, but what it actually means is really where the rubber hits the road, which uh, for me is we had an organizational development coach who's been working with our team on growth mentality. How do you build a startup and lead through all the challenges and doing a lot of team coaching works with me and with my executive team. I expanded that access to our entire company. So every employee who was having issue was thinking about organizational development or, you know, some of their challenges, how do I manage through this crisis had someone direct to go to that wasn't me, that wasn't their manager. And that got actively used throughout the company. And then I had to, a couple other things. One was just like all of the stuff that we all think about of like, how do you do stuff virtually? I think the way you do stuff virtually is just worse. <laughs> You're doing like an aspect of what you did before. It's just not as good now. 
And then it didn't come to me till a, a little, like a couple of months in that nobody was taking vacations. In addition to having the most stressful time of our lives, nobody was taking time to recover from it. So we started doing last Fridays off, just company-wide mental health day. And we call it mental health day because we all need it. And the last piece I think is really my adaption, which was, you know, as the CEO, you're trying to manage your team. Any of you who, who are managing teams, you're caring about them first and you're trying to enter on the human first. How's your day? How are you personally? The separation between the personal and work personalities has completely disintegrated. And so recognizing those come together and treating people like, I need to know how you're doing first. And I need to be honest with you. I'm having a mess of a time. Like, I have kids everywhere in this house. They're all on Wi-Fi. They're all going crazy. They're all going to walk into this podcast in three seconds and just letting people know where you're at. And then the hardest part for me personally was I didn't realize how much I was really giving out to try to comfort and making everyone else on my team feel stable and feel like they were being cared for. And it was just draining me as I was doing that at home. I was doing it at work. And about two months in, I had to completely revamp how I take time to myself and especially with all of us having less options. So it was pretty comprehensive. I've, it's been my least favorite year that I've ever worked. I imagine it's many of your least favorite year as well. I have stuff about our clients and board and writers and how I think about them too, but I think that covers the question pretty well. I think as a leader, your team is paramount. I mean, everybody espouses the belief that, you know, your team is your your centerpiece and that with or without uh, having the right team it is going to dictate your outcomes and your results. But the second there's a threat to revenue where that's in question, we take position of really trying to not lose the game rather than playing to win the game. And so rather than moving everybody towards a, a, a new vision, we actually try to remove people from crowding the vision. And it's very counterintuitive. And when you come out the other side of that as a employer or as a senior executive, you may have certain stakeholders that will applaud your decision making and call you prudent and wise. Uh, but you have a trail of tears, too. Sometimes you have to make cuts, but it's the attitude and the position from which you make those cuts. And I also appreciate that you gave people time. Time is the most precious thing that we have outside of relationship which was really hard to come by this year with isolation and, and all the other things and relationships in-house were strained. So just being able to have time, that's where the real wisdom is. Getting everybody rallied to a cause and then giving them that time. And I, I appreciate, you know, investing as a leader into your people and pouring into them means you're, you're pouring out. And you have to, you have to find the, the place and the people, the community that sustains you and grows you, your, your peers, your friends, your family, your, your faith-based community that, you know, kind of uplifts your soul and recharges you because you're finite and you want to give as a servant leader. But there is also a time where you're required to receive because you're not God. So <laughs> it puts you in a difficult spot. That's a really good point. There's a great opinion piece that went around in the New York Times about a, a three, four weeks ago. God, I wish I could remember the name of it. It was basically a psychological concept of surge capacity that they were talking about, how the human mentality can basically has the surge capacity when trauma comes or something really big, and that you can go attack it and you can power through it. And it usually lasts like three to four months, and then it's exhausted. And I hadn't really thought of that. And it was talking about society-wide, why had everything started to feel much heavier a couple months ago? because we ran out of that. And I think individually, 
it was really nice to hear about that as a larger concept because I feel like that's what I went through as well. Validates the experience and lets you know you're you're not yeah. alone. <laughs> yeah, it's an academic thing, but then it really happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so there's you as the leader, and then you have your team, and you know the listening audience here are in-house sales and marketers and those that lead them, right? And so as a team, not necessarily as a service provider, but as a team that needs to eat, that needs to fill its pipeline, that needs to continue to grow, you know, what did you experience there from a growth perspective? And how did your in-house team need to pivot in order to try to adjust to meet the market where it had moved, if it had moved in your context? Oh, I think everyone's market moved. <laughs> Who moved my cheese? <laughs> if your market didn't move... I would, I would love to hear how that happened. It's just been a crazy turbulent time. So uh, I will tell you kind of where we were at in our biggest marketing investments coming into the mid-March kind of crisis or the, the Friday the 13th massacre. is uh, I don't know if it was announced in your area at the same time, but for us, uh, Denver schools closed on Friday the 13th. That's when it was announced. I'm like, this is just, that's just perfect. And so our biggest initiatives for marketing sales for the year were first, we had finally found our target audience. We work with... Uh, about two thirds of our revenue comes from digital marketing agencies, and we invested really big in agencies and digital marketing shows. And so we bought our biggest booths and put huge investment into building them all up at traffic and conversion and impacts big show. We were I, we were working on five at the same time and had already spent all the money on those. They were going to launch. There was in you know a conference season always begins in March, and March through May is that big time. We all had those uh, all of our travel set up. I'm sure. It's really hard to say these things because you know so many people in your audience went through all the exact same things. So anyway, conferences killed us because I finally decided this is where I was allocating the majority of my marketing spend. The second was we had this really fun, our first ad ever, we did this, uh, Verblio is a brand that we really like to play with a lot and we try to not take ourselves too seriously. And we did this really fun, I dressed up as a, uh, a pharmacist talking about all the issues you might be having as a content doctor. I was holding a giant bulldog while doing this and... I thought it was really quirky and fun. And then all of a sudden, COVID hits and being dressed as a pharmacist doing fake medical commercials was no longer funny at all. I still think it's kind of funny. But we had to pull all of those. The ad campaign was launching in late March and we didn't have sales. We have an ins one inside salesperson. All of our revenue comes from organic traffic by building up our content. And so we've been doing that for years. We bring in 1,200 plus new clients every year. We're very grateful for it, but have not expended that much energy into sales, we were planning to hire our first head of sales, our executive of sales in Q1, which we ended up doing. So that all happened. Everything's gone. What do we do now? And so the first is to just focus on, very similar to your last question, where do we, uh, what do we do for our clients? We have unique access to 2,000 of the best digital marketers that we know of that are all in our, our network. How do I just start getting the information out and getting that guidance to all the rest of our network? And so I started our video podcast a week after this all started. Uh, I'd never done a podcast before. I'd been on my dream list and have learned from people like yourself along the way. But I started interviewing lead digital marketers, uh, CEOs in MarTech who have been through all of this before, agencies themselves, and started releasing content three times a week, which was a tremendous amount of work, not well, work and effort. Uh, to try to share back and just basically know this is how other people are going through it. We turn that into kind of an ongoing podcast that we hope helps marketers along the way. So I would say that the biggest change, in our, and I've probably 
put in about 3x the amount of content in the last six months as I had done in my previous three and a half years of being a CEO. It's always been my like, you know, I run a content company. I should really do a lot of content. But like all of you, it's like number five. It's top five on my priorities for every year and it's number 25 on any given day. So it just keeps slipping. Right. And I finally just put it all in. And so I think the big theme is Rand Fishkin has a recent blog about how there's an inverse relate correlation between how effective a marketing channel is and how much attribution you can get from it. So if you know it's working, then it's probably not working as well as you think because you can only measure it and we all love that. And so we put a ton into just a variety of organic traffic approaches. The podcast, a bunch of other contents has been deeply increased. We did a lot of SEO kind of content refreshes throughout all of the blog posts. We've been doing a blog a day for our entire company history of 10 years. It's a lot. And all of these things are really hard to measure. The only thing we can measure is just how much our organic traffic is coming up. So we started that and then we started outbound sales for the very first time at the beginning of this crisis, just trying to figure out how do we go after these? One of the big trend changes that that we've saw in digital marketers, this might be interesting to your audience, is that you know, the first month and a half, we lost about 20% of our clients, but they were, and those 20% came from the super hard hit SMB clients, like on the smaller side. So they were mostly the, our smallest clients, which, you know, I have deep empathy for. And if you're trying to figure out how to keep your, your doors open, the last thing you're worried about, like everything that's not mission critical goes away. And then immediately afterwards, we saw a giant jump in mid-sized to large companies that were boosting their content to levels they hadn't seen before. So our portfolio shifted from really dramatically from 70% agencies and large clients to 80, 85% in two months in a shift faster than anything I've seen in my business history. And so we had to adapt to that and it's a lot easier to, uh, to target through outbound sales. So we're starting to be a little more rifle shot oriented and all of our sales is very like we looked at your company. Here's a specific thing that you can do versus the classic, hey, we've got content, want content. Wow. I think that's, a, I mean, that's a ton of different incremental changes. But the big theme I heard in all of that was that content, not just because you were a content production company, because you'd already built a base, but rather you pivoted away from all the the, the staples of all the other stuff that you would normally do that was in person. And it sounds like you identified that connection and community along with bringing real-time, just-in-time, maybe less evergreen type of content became kind of a front and center approach because a content medium like a podcast, especially with an interview like this, turns out to be a format where you can extract someone's best ideas about what's happening from their view of the trench right now and get it get it out to market with a very, very small editorial process and get it into the ears of people who are attuned to that and perhaps are doing even a little bit less of the standard search, the standard topics that would have never made it into your keyword strategy because they were not part of the topics that you had built your, your base around. And so you, you create, you, I think you close the proximity between you and your prospective audience. And I think you also elevated the the brands of all the other people that you brought into that. that. That whole, we're in this together showed up in your content. And typically, I think most content we produce is aimed at evidencing that we are the best expert in the room. You know, Challenger would call us to have all our content be commercial insight. We're the only provider that could help you with any of these needs we're writing about. 
What you did, though, is you said you elevated everybody and said all our boats rise with the same tide. And so that's a very interesting adjustment that you probably haven't even had the time to fully flesh out and think through. But as one of the people that listens to the Verblio show, you know, I, I know that that's part of what's going on there. And it's part of the precipice for what we're doing here at the in-house marketer. So I think that's I think that's really interesting. How has it been for you as a senior leader? If I understand your history correctly, you're not like a you're not a writer, journalist that turned into a CEO. So what's it been like for you having to be really close to that top five making content every day where you're giving expertise and extracting it from other you know people who are you're qualified to have a conversation with? Cool. Well, before I jump into that answer, thank you for, very much for uh, better articulating my own strategy for the rest of the year than I have been able to do so far. I'm going to go back and record that and write it down for my board. That is exactly right. You captured it perfectly. So for me, the the transition from verbal or from written content to verbal content has been fantastic. Like this is so my natural state, and I just didn't realize that I run a writing company as a non-writer, as you just said your thoughts that come out of your brain, put them onto paper, and they just like, it comes from like the genius that is you onto the paper. To me, that is magic. I don't know how it happens. And I have the deepest respect for writers who can do it. I can't, I just don't do it as well. But it turned out that moving my content creation focus to communication with other people in direct conversations was really my natural state. And one of the key drivers was to to help figure out how I get to, uh, create all this extra content. So, and from there we've created blogs off of those and you just had to, we had to create our, what is going to be the core content creation strategy and life was a lot easier. And then, holy cow, I get to talk to the most interesting people all the time. I get to ask them their marketing ideas, what inspired them, what gets there. I learn more from those conversations and you can learn more quickly. So all of that really fit into my style. I guess step one is to identify your own style to figure out how do you get this started? The second piece was organizing your life around it. So as a CEO, everyone told me coming into this job, like your job as a CEO is to do all the things you're focused on now and then to move out of those and focus and give those to someone else. And that sounds really great, but your job is constantly trying to figure out what your job is. And so having your job be content and content focused means a couple things. Some of them are pretty obvious. Uh, some are less so. I think focus on content, the amount of time that you're going to allocate out of your time budget, I would think was kind of obvious how that time gets scheduled is really hard. So when are you going to do this content? Are you going to have all of your interviews in the morning? They, they take over everything. And then you want to you actually have studied and be on top. You want to provide good content. So the amount of input ahead of time is really important. And then the other piece is you need to be consuming a hell of a lot more content to be doing content. And that is something that I didn't budget for. So I think all of that was really different on how I go about life. And then the other piece that always comes with every prioritization process is what are you not going to do now? And I'm still working on that. <laughs> so the plate got uh, thicker with more stuff to do. But in the process of you working through this, it sounds like as an executive, you've gotten smarter. You know more about what exactly is going on in the marketplace, more connected from senior leader to other experts that you'll be able to develop a relationship with. And you've got an appreciation for what it's like for people who are more close to the front line in your, your content having to produce it. I think it's so interesting. I can't wait to have you back on to talk about the long-term implications of senior leadership joining in with frontline marketing and content production and see what the differentiator that creates for you, even in just six months from now, 
when we're in whatever's called the new normal or as I'm dubbing it, the great rebound. That's what I'm looking forward to. And mm -hmm. so I think that you're going to see a very unique thing that other organizations are not going to have. That's really interesting. Now, in you doing this, you've worked with a breadth of clients, Steve, and you've had, I think, over, I think you work with over 39 industry verticals in the US and you manage something like 3,000 riders. Isn't that right? Yes. That's amazing. That in and of itself is two plates on the table. I'm just curious though, with that perspective, you know, what have you seen some of the top companies do that has really led them to thriving when their peers didn't? Now, before you answer that, we're going to take a quick break and leave that as a little bit of a cliffhanger. But I, I want our listeners to stay tuned and listen into what you have to say about this. I think it's going to be very telling. Verblio is a premier partner in Blue Matters Execution Hub Marketplace. Execution Hub is where marketers like you go to find highly vetted partners that can implement the parts of your marketing strategy that you're just not ready to do in-house. All partners offer exclusive pricing and a dedicated partner success representative when ordering through Blue Matter. Verblio makes it possible for you to produce the inbound demand your sales team requires by producing premium blogs, ebooks, and white paper content at the quality and quantity you'd expect of an expert in-house writing team. They can even optimize your content for search, choose featured images, create videos for social, and publish right to your site. Whether you want to do it yourself or work with an account manager for a hands-off experience, Verblio can meet your desired level of independence. And Blue Matter members get 35% off their first order, making their affordable services even more obtainable. Start a free membership at bluematter.us or use coupon code GOVERBLIO to save 10% off your monthly membership. So Steve, right before the break, I asked you this question. You've been able to look at 39 different, in fact, over 39 different industry verticals. You've gotten to be able to see the shifts that you talked about from some of your smaller businesses, maybe not necessarily producing as much content, your mid-market and your middle prize companies increasing their content production. Some have probably thrived and others maybe haven't. What have you seen these organizations doing that's leading them to you know, really increase? With all the people you interview and all the clients you serve, I'm sure you've got some kind of identifiers as to what thriving companies are doing right now and what you think they're going to be doing in the future. We do. We get a really fun kind of front court seats of, of the arena of digital marketers watching a couple thousand best marketers and what they do with content. And I like to share that out as much as we can. So there are a few trends. Uh, so I'll talk about kind of like the trends and how tr content has been used by different companies that are mostly across all verticals. Some of the best practices seem pretty vertical agnostic. And then I'll also talk about the best way of getting more value out of your content internally, which I think is an ongoing process, even regardless of trends, because I think they're really related. So the first big trend is back to what we were talking about earlier, which is to share content beyond your SEO strategy. Your SEO strategy is how does this help you? You're going to write content that your clients or, or prospects are going to be looking for. There is a, you know, facts out there of most of most prospects are going to be looking at 20 to 30 pieces of your content before they even close with you, not to mention how how do you get re your organic reach. So, that should still be part of your strategy. Most of our best marketers are expanding way beyond what they do in their existing group. And I think there's a couple of ways. One is to talk about your level of expertise. What do you have access to? What can you contribute? What's interesting for us? It was, we have access to great 
marketers who have led through crises before, how can I share that back? That's not going to help me on any SEO keywords, but it helps an audience. So it's thinking beyond SEO to audience creation to let's have a great front touch, kind of top of the funnel, provide good content, stuff will come back to you. And I'm very, wow, you know, is the finance major side of me, I was a joint finance and marketing major side, just like, like cringes when I say, don't worry, it's all audience creation. It'll come back and help you someday. But it does. So I think that's number one. The second is to look through your organization and find where your expertise is. So I think most people are looking at keywords, you know, client services. There's very few client services, subject matter experts out there sharing content, very few product leaders who are sharing their content. It's all the marketers talking to the marketers. So what if you found your clients, your head of client services, your head of ops is out there finding blogs about how they led through this crisis? How did I lead my ops team through it? All of the type of information is really important. I think I've seen a lot more variety of content as companies think broader about what could be interesting to any audience as opposed to just their target client profile. The second is we have seen a massive increase in multimedia content turning into written content, similar to our podcast conversation. So we are doing a lot more work with podcasters that are sending us their podcast to write up 1500 words, turning that into SEO research after or material afterwards. We're looking at similar kind of like uh, some of our podcast hosts are sending us a, their podcast and saying, turn this into five posts. After five more of these, I want to turn it into an ebook. So really thinking about repurposing your existing materials. The third is also repurposing, but in a different way, which is SEO is so focused on like the long term, it's a six month horizon to start up and get going, it takes a while to get boosted, but there's very few companies out there with enough patience to wait six months for results right now. So how do you take content and give it a more immediate boost? And so a lot of those approaches have been kind of an SEO refresh, taking your existing blogs, they're ranking, they're on page two of Google, how can you infuse them with new words, new keyword analysis and get them to move forward? So we're doing large batches of these kind of SEO refresh projects that I think are really fascinating for marketers. And the fourth trend, I'll talk a, a little bit about kind of where I think marketers can be thinking more afterwards in, our, in a future question. Well, I think, uh, I think that's really interesting. Those different pieces all make good use of existing work. So there, it sounds like you're using all the parts of the animal, so to speak, right? And everything that's being created is being recreated afresh. It's a renewal process, which isn't that just a good theme for, for what we should all be doing right now is kind of refreshing and reconnecting with things we've done in the past and making them relevant for today. Because wisdom is kind of wisdom no matter the season. Principles are principles no matter the season. But if a, if a person can directly interpret the content as useful and relevant in today's context, they may dismiss it and, and miss out on the wisdom that would have been helpful for them right now. I mean, I still get search queries that come back with articles from 2014. And sometimes those answers are totally irrelevant. Sometimes they're just as useful today as, as ever before. And so I think that's, I think that's kind of the, the essence there is go beyond SEO. And then making all of the content and, and material that's been produced go as far as it possibly can. Jay Bear once had a word for this. I don't know if he still uses it, but he calls it content atomization. You know, it's this kind of breaking big things into smaller things and assembling smaller things into big things and connecting all sorts of different content together to create whole new content. And so it sounds like that seems to be yeah. the approach that you've witnessed the best brands 
uh, doing. And so as we kind of move towards really the last thing I w- was wanting to ask you about today, and you have the attention of a listening audience of all these in-house marketers, you know, what is what would you as both a senior leader, as a marketer, and as somebody who leads a, a content strategy and production company, what would you advise in-house marketers to do to meet today's buyer where they're at and be ready for whatever comes next? The, so this kind of goes back to where I was leading the last answer, which is that, so we created Verblio and with the idea of we want to create a new capability for digital marketers. We wanted to create more subject matter expertise, so higher quality writers than you can get on demand. We wanted to be able to enable you to scale up or down depending on the level of content that you wanted to create. And then we wanted to create it in whatever format that you that you needed to get to. And so that's our brand promise. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And we think we do it uh, pretty well. I say that really succinctly, the most succinctly as high quality content at scale for any niche, which is a really hard thing to do. And that's why we spend so many cycles on it. And so what does that mean to you as a marketer? That means that you have a new capability that you can think about. And what I'd like to see more of our clients doing I'll give you an example to start it off and then explain kind of what I'm seeing there. So we have a very large legal SEO agency called rankings.io. They do about, they do hundreds of pieces of legal, of legal content per month. They want every piece to be written by a writer who's proven to write in the legal space. And they want every piece of it to be edited by a lawyer. So that's a really hard thing to pull off. And we've been able to do 4,000 pieces of content for them over the years all on deadline within 30 days each and all kind of helping their clients get there. What does that enable rankings to do? They can go out to the legal community as they only work with personal injury attorneys and say, hey, I can give you an SEO infusion of content that is better than anybody else's, faster than anybody else, and that's why you should work with me. So they are thinking of content as a competitive advantage. And that's what I'd like to challenge your all of you marketers out there to think of. Most marketers think of content of, I have one writer, how much can I write? So you're coming from it from the what what can I do versus what I should do. And the second is, what could you do if you could get subject matter experts? You've got subject matter expert writers who can write for you, but what if you could put a layer on top of it who could really bring in a brand name like... Uh, you're doing home services and you have architects who are reviewing everyone. You're doing medical compliance and you have nurses or, or physician's assistants who are writers and reading every piece of it. Could you do something that really makes you stand out from the rest of your competition? Could you create thousands of pieces of content where you're just going to search, everyone's going to find you first and you're going to make it impossible for your competitors who don't have other attributes like that, uh, other partners to keep up with you. So I would challenge you to think bigger, think of content as a competitive advantage. How can it be your advantage? There are very few marketing games out there right now. And this is the one that you're writing for your, for your prospects, for your audience. You don't know when they're coming back to you, but you want to be the one they come back to when they come. That's a great point. And I think all the other lessons that you've learned that you've shared with us in this episode is, is where does the content come from? It comes from a great writer and it comes from your in-house experience and expertise. If you can fuse together to the degree that's possible with your in-house subject matter experts, they can join the effort, then you will not only have a volume of, of content and you'll have a great quality, especially if you work with a, a Verblio, but you'll also have content that's unique and experience rich. 
so that it isn't just speaking at high level conceptually about things and using illustrations that fit the purpose, but rather you'll have stories of transformation as a team that you are then injecting into that content that helps the reader know it's not just a ghostwriter, helps the reader know these people really are the experts and they've like a farmer's insurance. I love their ads. We, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And that is so compelling, not just because it's not save 15% or less, but it's because you're going to a trusted advisor. And if anybody needs anything at the end of this global pandemic, and if anybody needs anything into 2021, it's trusted advisors that can really solve the problem for the customer because they don't have a lot of cycles left in them necessarily to kind of find the right one. They can find you and make you the the one that solves their problem. And content was the handshake that made it all possible. That was really compelling, Stephen. And I wish we could keep going on. In fact, we are going to have you on again in just a couple of weeks and, and the Verblio team to talk more about the, the practical how-to do what you're talking about. So if this is something that you're interested in, you know, Steve, you're telling us to do it, but then how do we do it effectively and how do we marry our in-house and our outsource capabilities to do these things? That's what we're going to talk about on our upcoming webinar in just two weeks from this recording. But I know listeners are going to want to be in touch with you between now and then. So what are a couple of ways that people can get in touch with you between now and that webinar? Great. We're proud members of the Blue Matter community and hope that you find us there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. It's Steve Pokras and at the Verblio Show, which is my podcast on all major podcast formats. Well, it's fantastic having you on, Steve. I really appreciate you cutting out the time as you're juggling all these different things right now. Your wisdom has been uh, really remarkable and greatly appreciated. And I'm sure our listeners are better for it. Make sure you go listen to the Verblio Show. I think you can find it on major every major podcast source, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Or you can use the link in our show notes to get there directly. It's been great having you on and I look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the In-House Marketer Podcast. Remember to start a free membership at bluematter.us or use coupon code GOVERBLIO to save 10% off your monthly membership. And remember, Blue Matter members get 35% off their first Verblio order. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan McInerney. Hey, can you give me just a second? First, I want to thank you for listening to the end. If you made it this far, I imagine that Steve's advice was helpful to you. Producing this show is a labor of love, and if you think we deserve it, would you please give us a five-star review? And if we could have done better, please let us know how we can improve at podcast at bluematter.us. That's podcast at bluematter.us.